Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of This Martial Life. Uh, I am currently in a hotel room in Chicago, Illinois, on a work retreat, but uh, happen to have a uh, nice mic with me for the trip. Um, episode two, special one, I was uh, able to have my instructor, Professor Bobby Borangan, out to Portland, Oregon to visit my home, uh, test a couple of my students. And uh, both he and his wife, Shihan Colleen, uh, took uh, some time out of the day to have a conversation. And um, these were back-to-back interviews. And I'm sure I mentioned that in the intro to episode one. But uh, this was great to get just a few stories out of Professor Bobby. He is such a a giving guy and um, just a warm personality. And we have a lot of fun when we're together. And, you know, if there's any any indication that you know i'm being disrespectful just in how casual i am it's definitely not uh not intentional um you know i i do you know pay respects to him in in you know the usual ways following protocol and things like that um we definitely recorded this in our off hours so uh, if it seems really casual for me to be speaking to my instructor this way you know it's not meant uh, in any disrespect so uh, i hold him in the highest regard uh, my wife and i were lucky enough to a company uh, professor and his son Nathan, uh, Sensei Nathan Barungan, to the Philippines a few years ago, and that was just a really special experience uh, to be able to to see where he grew up and um, you know try all the the interesting foods and um, you know listen to to stories from his family and uh, we even carved out a little bit of time to head to <laughs> a beach resort and that was just a, a lot of fun so. Um, what we're gonna hear in this podcast, you know, is a um, just kind of a warm up, and uh, there's just so many stories that that he can tell us. And um, I'm, I, you know, after having done this uh, 40 minute inter- interview, uh, to have him back on again, I'm just I'm really excited to do that. So um, I hope you all enjoy it, and you know, you'll definitely get a sense of, of professor's warmth and. Um, generosity and so i i'm very excited to share this with you and um look forward to seeing you on the next episode thanks so much speaking of filipino people we're yeah we're recording this is great uh so i'm joined today episode number two back-to-back episodes uh by professor bobby barangan uh Angelito Bobby Brongan from the Philippines, uh, now lives in Iowa, has lived there since 1972, 1972. Hi, Bobby. Hi, how are you? Good. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah. So we're, uh, uh, for folks who didn't hear episode one, we're actually recording out of my house in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Professor Brongan and uh, Shihan Colleen are uh, visiting to... Uh, I'll use her terminology, have my students show us what they know tomorrow, um, also known as testing. Test their skill. Yep, got to test their skill. How many tests have you run in your in your life? I need a precise, a precise number of tests <laughs> in the last uh, 40 years. A few. A few, uh, a few hundreds. As a map. Um, gosh, I. Uh, somebody said at one time they we run through 
probably 200 black belts in the in the school. Wow. We even had people, we had black belts all over California, Chicago, uh, Minnesota, especially Minnesota, um, Atlanta, uh, also Louisiana, Nebraska. And these are all, these are all uh, black belts that... Uh, that came up through the Brongan uh, Brongan Martial Arts Academy yep. in Des Moines. Yes. Okay. yes, we even have one from West Virginia. Uh, he's now a Shihan. The Baraka Kempo is a very good friend. Uh, we met. Uh, he was uh, at the uh, at the old school at Southwest Ninth. Okay, upstairs, and then he moved. And went to North Carolina, then then to Virginia, I believe, the last time. And uh, he now lives in Virginia, I believe. And we met uh, last year in Orlando for the you know for the first time after several years. That's right. You met him at the yeah. uh, uh, what, what was the name of the the event that you were that you attended. Uh, World Showcase Ship Council. Council. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's the head of the family council. Okay. Yeah. So for people unfamiliar with the term uh, soke, it just it it's uh it's a term given to instructors who have been uh who basically head the system, um head their system, uh, which we refer to as a family. Head of the family, yeah. Yep. So soke yeah. means head of the family. Um, and one of the things that I uh, didn't quite understand, and I'm sure you can help explain this, um, is when, when the title of Soke is, uh, bestowed upon a, uh, on an individual, how does that, how does that happen? How is that a, a decision that's made? Cause it's very different from, uh, belt rank. Um, it's, it, it has really no correlation to, to the rank to your to your actual belt rank is that no. true yes yes um after several so many years uh, uh the the rank itself is based on time and grade mm-hmm. and after six degree several years you have to develop your own system and three more years after that it has to be completely your own system, and that uh, you become the head of that family, the head of that that style. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really a creation. It's not really that you create your own style. It's a. It's just a combination of years of, of training, mm-hmm. taken from different systems, and making it your own. So it's going to be a, a unique system. Uh, based on what you have learned from different system. Sure. So right now, uh, the way that the way that I came up under uh, under your teaching was I have I have my uh, sheets that tell me the things that I need to know from yellow belt all the way up to uh, black belt and beyond. Mm-hmm. And basically, what what I do in that time is I learn. I go through the 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 
absorption and the observation of what you do. And I, I learn all the things that I need to learn for each test. And then, uh, at a certain point, uh, just like, uh, Shihan and I were talking about you, you basically, since it is an art form, every individual has their own expression of that. Yes. So you start to sort of piece things together and it becomes something unique to you, which you want to share with other people. And that's, you, you believe in the, the, uh, that at six degree, the person, if they've made it that far should be able to express themselves in that way as an individual. Is that right? And add your own flavor to the system. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we've talked about this before, but the, the number of people who, you know, reach their first degree black belt. So they, they hit that level, um, which we've talked about a lot also, which is kind of the beginning of the martial arts journey, (laughs) another type of beginning. Um, when you hit that, that six degree rank, how many, like, what's the, what's the attrition or the fall off between number of people who hit that first degree black belt and then to six degree. There's a, there's just a handful of that. Very handful. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, uh, student that uh, as soon as they reach the first degree, they think that that's, that's it. That's, that's as far as they're going to go. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, actually it's just the beginning mm-hmm. of your training. Uh, everything is basic, but as soon as you receive your first degree, it's just a beginning of your true training mm-hmm. because you have to train yourself how to deal with people, deal with students. Uh, you have to deal with your own self-respect and your own discipline. Mm-hmm. We try to teach discipline at the beginning of the of your journey, but at the same time, self-discipline is a completely different matter. Right. You have to learn all that again. Uh, and again, this is just the very beginning of your of your journey. It's just like, uh, okay, you completed high school, now you're going to college. Mm-hmm. And so the training is more strenuous because you have the responsibilities, you, have, uh, you still have to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Still, a lot of requirements to do, and then you have to prove that you know your requirements and uh, other system. You you test all the way from the very first belt up to where you're at testing. What's your favorite point in teaching when you see students transition from? Uh, from black belt, you know, from a color, a color belt to black belt, or is it uh, when they start teaching or is it, um, is it another point? What, what's your favorite, what's your favorite, uh, thing to see from people? I guess their development, uh, you're so used up seeing them do a, you know, do the same thing over and over again. But then, uh, there's, Somewhere along the line, they they you're gonna see the changes. Mm-hmm. They really learn their system. They they have learned their uh, they progress their progression. Mm-hmm. You're gonna see. It's just like watching your son then growing all the way to manhood or mm-hmm. 
become a man. Uh, so it's just like a, just like that uh, as a as a instructor. Mm-hmm. You watch. You have a white belt, and you you supervise them, and you taught them everything you knew, and then then they grow into a man. Yeah, to a I, black belt. So, I uh, one of the things that I never quite knew was coming as a as an instructor was um, the anxiety that you have before your you, you put your own students into testing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's something that i've learned as an instructor as part of the deal it's i'm i'm almost more anxious about their test than i've ever been about one of my tests which mm-hmm. is probably false it's probably about the same <laughs> it's about the same yeah that's the reason why I, I never test any of my advanced belt because i know you know uh, uh i know what they could do but at the same time the the expectation uh i want them to to succeed of course i want them to to show what they know, because if they fail, then it's my responsibility. It's my fault that they failed because they, right? I didn't, t- you know, I didn't taught them the right way, and right, I didn't taught them hard enough, you know. So, so their failure is my failure. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I said something almost the, the same this morning. I said their uh, their shortcomings are my shortcomings, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. you know, if if I don't practice. Uh, if I've, you know, if I've never been that great at uh, spinning roundhouse kicks, which is probably the weakest thing that I've got in my arsenal, uh, that's something that they're not going to be very good at because I'm not very good at yeah, uh, yeah. at showing them. So it's it's one of those things that I have to find a way to augment and, and add, find a different way to teach them these things. Um, and it, there's, I, I think you become a better... Um, it's a very humbling experience yes, to, to yes. go through that when when yes. your students start to surpass uh, where you at where you're at in terms of skill and and that's going to happen yeah that's going to happen because the fact that they're continuously training while you're continuously teaching right so you don't get as much practice on your own because you're you got a responsibility to your student mm-hmm. and that happens a lot and that's why you go to the seminars and you go to this uh gatherings and all the advanced rank all the masters are are all pretty heavy set you know put mm-hmm. on weight and mm-hmm. just like me i'm putting on weight because the fact that they are not training they're not they're not they're not doing what they were doing years years before you know when they were yeah. just a student yeah and uh we become lazy uh, i'm not saying it word lazy but uh age got to do some you know has something yeah. to do with it but uh uh our our body structure you know we can't we're not able to to be as limber as we used to be yeah you know so well and that's one of the things i i wanted to ask about was um you know as as we get older i teach a couple students who are who are 40 or older and um you know they start to talk about how you know their knees aren't as good as they were um flexibility isn't as good how in your in your experience in the martial arts i mean you you have to be flexible you're probably more flexible than you know a good deal of people your your own age um but how much you know 
what what have you seen as advances in, in how people approach fitness that could help um, today's martial artists and those people starting out now with you know yoga and you know Pilates and different types of uh, cross training or cross fitness? Do you think it's a, a good thing? I think so. Uh, there's a lot of martial arts school offering uh, body shaping. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some of them are just money making s schemes, but yeah. but there there are some that uh, that would help you. Yeah. Uh, yoga, for for example, will definitely help you. Yep. Um, but all in all, I think it's it's the individual. I mean, you you really have to. You really have to do something for yourself. Yeah. You know. Uh, but there are people, um, probably I'm myself included, we've done it for so many years, and we have, we have some student that, that gotten better, mm -hmm. right? And they know the right stuff. They know the right technique, and so we just let them do the teaching. Yeah, yeah, all the instruction because they could do it. Yeah, this is the way you do it. This is the way the form goes. Mm -hmm. Okay, I I I advise them that this is okay. This is the way it was done before, mm -hmm. and it's time for you to show them. You know, instruct them the right way. Right. That's that's my excuse. I guess you know that's my <laughs> that's my. Uh, that's my side. That's I could say. Yeah, Nathan could do it. Nathan will do. It. Yeah. Okay. We got uh, Renshu Adams. Got you know, got good flexibility. Right. To do it. Uh, so, uh, but those were the uh, uh, the requirements that uh, that we have. And if I can't do it, I won't. I won't teach it. Right. I'll have somebody else teach it. Right. So, uh, and and I'm lucky enough, or I'm blessed enough that I have other you know other people that could do it, and they do the right instruction. Yeah. So I still try, but my knees and and my back just doesn't cooperate with me anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll be sixty-eight this year. Is that why you're toting around crutches? Yep. Well. <laughs> That was very unfortunate. Uh, this one, I never, I haven't had any, any problem with you know before. Yeah, you know, minor aches and pain, but, but uh, I still, I still teach. Yeah, you know, I know you do. A lot of the students, <laughs> a lot of our students now is, they don't know how lucky they are because, in. In a lot of the school, you won't see a high-ranking belt still teaches mm -hmm. white belts, especially right. kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they let their other students, the lower black belt, to teach them. Mm -hmm. But I still do. I still go out there. You know, every every class. So well, that's one of the things that I I think I could tell right away. <clears throat> um, after I got yelled at for wearing shoes three feet into the door my first day at the Brongan Martial Arts Academy uh, 15, 16 years ago. <laughs> uh, it was uh, the 
the, the passion beyond just running a school and, you know, looking cool and all these things that people associate with the martial arts. It's, it was that you authentically cared about the people that were there. And, um, you know, I could see as time went on that when, you know, somebody had a bad time or they left, um, and didn't come back that you, you were authentically, you know, it, it, you took it personally. And I think, um, really it's something, it proved to me that this was way more than just, uh, a business for you or never, never been a business to me. Yeah. Never been They're They're families. I consider them family. So yeah, I take it personally because I, I put my time teaching them. I want them to grow in the, in the art, but, uh, but I take it personally if they leave. Yeah. It's just, just family, just like your son leaving, leaving the house and, you know, going on his own, you know? And mm -hmm. So that's me. It's, it's, a, it's not really a business. Even though we're trying to make it a business, but it, but it never, never been a business. But me. he, I mean, even if, even if, you know, forty new students signed up next month, it's not that would that would never change the way that you approach no how never. you how you show up, um, and I think that's the point. And and when you say you know you're trying to make it a business, you just mean, um, you know applying more discipline in your day-to-day -day operations. Mm. It's it, not about changing more the model. structures, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I've been teaching in Des Moines since 1973. Mm. So, and from then on, I mean, I, I so, my, so many students in and out. Yeah. You know, you see him come and see him go. Yeah. You know, uh, we have, uh, I think seven, seven school, I mean, in and out, uh, different location. Yeah. At one time, we were the, the second martial arts school in, in Des Moines area beside Kim's Academy. Okay. <clears throat> and that was it in the 70s. So it was Kim's and Brongan, uh Kempo Karate, which... That's, I mean, in the seventies, even that was. That's not very many martial arts schools no, for uh, a. Mm -mm. As a matter of fact, uh, Mister Mister Kim, you know, tried to buy two of our students under one membership just to so that uh, mm. he'll be the only martial arts school. Yeah, and I turned him down. Yeah, so he didn't like us after that. And then after that, you know, the other system came in and another uh, different uh, taekwondo school opened up. A uh, couple of uh, wushu school under Sipu Mendoza and Sipu uh, uh, Anthony Bates. There's the House of Kung Fu. Uh, Eagle Claw. Eagle Claw. So there's, right. and yeah. then there's a lot of, uh, there's another Kempo school in uh, 
Dave Mondo, and then another Kempo school in Ankeny. Mm-hmm. So it just grew. The martial art grew, but but it really didn't flourish. I mean, it, yeah, in Des Moines. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting because um, you moved from LA uh, <clears throat> before you were before you in Iowa, uh, before you lived in Iowa. Uh, what was the what was the martial arts scene? in LA at that time in the, in the mid seventies. Big. Yeah. And yeah. what was, um, what do you think was the primary difference between what was happening in, on the West coast versus what was happening in the Midwest? The movies. Yeah. Because that, you know, Bruce Lee was, uh, was getting famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackie Chan was getting famous. Uh, Which was at that point in time, Jackie Chan's career was very. It was kind of underground, right? Underground, you know, yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. the subculture of, of kung yeah. fu movies, yeah. But uh, Bruce Lee was definitely the main, yeah, the main thing there, and so, a much probably a much bigger. Um, it, it the melting pot was much mm-hmm. much bigger in on the West Coast, yep. um, uh, especially the Japanese system. Uh, that's that's when I first met uh, uh, Pumio Demura Sensei at the uh, in Buena Park, the Japanese Garden. Beautiful. Um. So you. <laughs> The Japanese martial arts were taking off in in LA. Oh yeah, oh, specifically. Yeah. So when, for people who aren't uh, familiar, that's more of the the karate, like traditional karate styles. Um, so Okinawa, Shotokan, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and even even though kung fu was popular in terms of the media, uh, the the foothold was already taken by the, the the Japanese martial arts mm-hmm. because at uh, at one time uh, during that time kung fu is very, still very secret sec- secret society mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you, you have to be chinese to learn kung fu right and then when bruce lee came around he opened it up to uh, to everyone was it the same with um, with the japanese martial arts and obviously not for having this conversation but uh, how how much vetting was there uh, for, you know, white people to join a Japanese martial arts school? None. You, just, you could just join. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anybody um, could join at that time. And at that point, the um, probably most of the instructors were still Japanese. They hadn't mm-hmm. been in uh, in the U.S. long enough to train fully trained uh well there were some servicemen and that went to the to japan sure and when they came back they hooked up with uh Tamura sensei okay. uh dan ivan was one of them uh he was a american u.s army mm-hmm. went to japan after the world war uh two and he trained he mm-hmm. trained there I'm not sure whether if he's the one who brought Demora Sensei here. Well, I, I can't remember. But anyway, you know, they started the uh, the Japanese karate club. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and uh, yeah, they they have quite a following, you know. But uh, and then and then of course Ed Parker from American Kempo came in from Hawaii. Yep. And then he opened up the American Kempo system. Uh, and another famous uh, kung fu school is the Sun Tzu Kung Fu. Uh, they had a lot of a lot of school. Uh, and the the Kempo, uh, the American Kempo system uh, under Ed Parker that that was. Uh, very late seventies, kind of early eighties is mm -hmm. when that blew mm -hmm. up in popularity. Oh yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking about kind of the, the transition, um, how, you know, popularity of the martial arts kind of grew from nothing in the mid to late seventies into this giant yep. thing, yeah. you know, it was a pop culture phenomenon mm -hmm. at that point. Um, and so many martial arts movies and things like that in the eighties, um, and then, you know, in the, in the 90s, I don't know if it was a Gen X thing or what, but... It kind of died down. Yeah, it kind of yeah. died out, yeah. yeah. So now every, every school had to suffer. Well, not really suffer, but they have to... Uh, there have been a lot of schools that closed, yeah. you know, because of that. And uh, kind of reevaluate the way they... Did business probably yeah 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 and uh, that's the reason that, well not, one of the reasons i moved to to the midwest uh i was in the u.s army uh during the vietnam era and and I, we trained a little bit there that's where uh, uh we started the black uh black eagle Kempo mm -hmm. in germany we started training in Port Campbell, Kentucky during our advanced uh, infantry training. And then when we got to, when we moved to Germany, we joined up with uh, uh, the Black Dragon Society uh, under uh, uh, Sensei Rodney Ventar. Mm, right. And uh, that's, uh, we've taught several uh, German uh, students. Mm. We taught on base. Uh, there's, there, there was three of us. I was the high-ranking one. Uh, I was the brown belt. And you got your, your brown belt was under Black Eagle. Yep, yep. Karate, okay. And then I got my black belt, uh, in two years while we were in Germany. But you were still training. You trained in the Philippines yeah. as a oh, young yeah. man. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't your first rodeo, so to speak. No. Uh -uh. no. <laughs> you had been working at it for some time. Yeah. That was in the 1960, 63, 64. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we trained a little bit of Arnis at that time. And then Shotokan Karate, Combat Judo. And that's where I learned some of the locks and, and, and throws. Uh, and then I just incorporate that, that part. So when you, when you started, was it, uh, in the Philippines specifically, 
I mean, we know, I know just from a lot of exposure mm. from you uh, around Arnis and the Filipino martial arts, and it sounds like you, you started learning a very traditional uh, Japanese style. Was that popular in the Philippines at that time? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And what, what do you think drove that popularity instead of, you know, keeping up with the tradition of the, of the FMA? Because of the Japanese influence after mm. the war. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there were, there were, as a matter of fact, there were still a lot of Japanese in the, in the Philippines, you know, after the war. Yeah. Yeah, they were going into hiding, you know. Uh, but uh, it was because the, the, the Kali or the Ernest was still, again, it's a secret, you know. They, were, right. they didn't, they didn't want to, they didn't want to put it out there because. And it was disguised as a, as a dance. A, as a dance. Yeah, a form. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of your native uh, dance troupe, they still do, you know, they still mm -hmm. do it. The tinikling is, you know, it's it's part of that. Uh, Sinkil, another dance called Sinkil, uh, derived from the from the southern region. Um, and Barangan is also a dance, isn't it? Isn't that one of the? Isn't there a dance called the Barangan? You know, I'm making there's that up. There's a sword. Oh, I know there's the barong, yeah, the sword. The barong, yeah. But I thought there was also a dance. I I thought I had seen that someplace. But do you know the translation of your name to English? What what the what the root is of that? Well, Angelito means little angel. Uh huh. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> baron of, uh, of the Baron. Mm. Okay. So. Okay. Um. So I'm still I'm I'm interested in the the idea that you know you're learning a, a Japanese martial art um, in the Philippines, what? Uh, which, I, is, I, which is highly disliked by by other people, you know, because it's you know the Japanese are bad people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During so, that time in the Philippines, time, yeah. 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 As a matter of fact, my dad still, when he was alive, he would you know. I brought him to the United States in 1982, and he knows that I, I was teaching mm -hmm. and, uh or teaching martial arts. He didn't understand. And uh, but as soon as I incorporated the sword, the iaido, uh, he was he was very upset. Oh wow! Very upset. He would not go to any of the events. Uh huh. You know. Uh, my mom, when the, during the, the one demonstration we had with, uh, she had Larry Gilchrist, he was laying down on two guys. Then I, when I cut the watermelon on him, mm -hmm. uh, she was, she was, she was mad. She was mad at me because I used the sword. They, they suffered a lot during the World War II. Yeah. You know, so... So they didn't like that at all. But then, as long as I I, I put aside the sword, and they just do empty hand, you know, and competing and mm -hmm. fighting and all that, and it was they fine. Were okay, yeah, yeah. they were okay with that. They liked that. And uh, Dad uh, met uh, Professor Lairding, and they, they're you know, they, since they're both from Philippines, so they they like each other and. 
and he he started to understand that this is just a an art. Mm-hmm. You know, it has nothing to do with politics or, or right. what happened during the war. Right. So he finally understood it. So did you? Was the introduction to uh, Professor Learning through your father, or no? You you met him. How did you meet him? Uh, we met uh, the Diamond National. Okay. Yeah. In Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. Yeah. yeah. Along with uh, Soke Carl. Uh, assistant. Associate Professor Roger Sophie. Sheehan Tony Nobella Sr. And this was in the 80s? Yeah. In the late, yeah. mid, mid, late 80s? Uh, early 80s. Early 80s. Early okay. 80s. Okay. Yeah. So this was still relatively early in the boom. And I, I only have, uh, my wildest imagination can only tell me what the Diamond Nationals were like mm-hmm. in the, in the 80s. I bet it was just a pretty incredible time. Yes. Yes. It, it's what one of the, it was the first triple A tournament, mm-hmm. you know, wherein the first prize or the first, the grand championship trophy is a diamond ring. Wow. Yeah. And Very prestigious. Only, not probably not only, but the Super Bowl is another sport where you get a diamond ring when right, you win yeah. a championship. So yeah. that just gives a yeah. pretty good indication of what that's like. Yeah. Triple A. And it's it's hard to get there. Yeah, very hard to get there because uh, still to this day, is it is it a pretty difficult? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, especially this day because now they include uh, extreme martial arts, which in you can do flips, you can do somersault, and it, it doesn't have to be a traditional. The transition from you know what you remembered from the eighties and what it is today with more of the acrobatics and um, you know I've seen. I've seen videos and I'm not, I'm not going to apply any judgment to what I see now. It's just, it's different than it's a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a demonstrate, a demonstration of skill. Yeah. But it's a show. It's not, not realistic. Yeah. You know, um, the fighting is still good. Uh, the, the empty hand form again, they add, they, they add too many, too many movements, too many kicks. They, there's uh, sometimes they they do five or ten kicks with the same leg. I mean, what's what's that going to prove? I mean, you know, you hit one strike, you should be enough. But then ten kicks. I mean, that is that person still going to be standing? Right. <laughs> it's just, it, yeah. It, that that's the whole thing. I mean, uh, they. The last time I was at the Diamond National, they they said this is a traditional tournament. This is traditional uh, uh, category. Mm-hmm. So they have one one guy, one grandmaster was was doing the cane. He mm-hmm. was the cane master. Mm-hmm. Now is the cane uh, actually a traditional weapon? Traditional weapon? Yeah. It's not. It was a made up form. Yeah. But he made do with it because he was good. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I got a lot of respect to him. And uh, uh, I I was, there was rated, that was a rated tournament. So they had people rated number 10, 
nine, eight, and so on and so forth. You know, he was he was rated number one, mm-hmm. and I haven't been in tournament for a long time, so I beat everyone up to uh, rated three. Yeah, I was third place. I beat all of them guys that that was rated at that time. And he come up to me and said, well, you know, you should do more tournament, you know. That's the only way you're going to win this. Yeah. Saying that he's always going to win. Right. Because, he's, you know, because <laughs> he does a lot of tournaments. Right. He showed up. I said, I said, well, that's okay, sir. I said, I've been, I've been there, done that. Yeah. You know, I just want to see what I can do. Yeah. So I still, still took third place. And, yeah. and I was happy with that. Yeah. And it's not about winning. Yeah. You know. I think it's, part of it was probably about, um, you know, networking and, and seeing what other people are doing. And right. I mean, you met, obviously, a, a lot of the people that you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Soke Carl and uh, Assistant Professor uh, Roger Zopfi, you know, those those folks have been your friends this whole time. I mean, they still come <laughs> over to barbecues. Time. and it's, <laughs> Long time, long time. And I think it's really interesting... Um, you know, at, you talked about how difficult it still is to to take home, you know, a championship from the Diamond Nationals. Um, but you you guys, you went through that experience and um, you sweat, you you bled, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> practically. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, that's another story. When, and th- as a matter of fact, that's when I met the professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning, because I was doing a, I was doing a, a spada idaga technique, a sword and dagger, but I was using a, a Bali song and then a, a, a karika brong sword. Mm. I was doing a double, uh, double weapon. Yeah, and uh, and what I forgot to do is tape the blade. <laughs> And I was just just doing my own thing, you know, flipping it back and forth, back and forth, and then start drop it down, use the sword to alter my four. Then I use the block, come in again with that left hand. And then I switch hand. I use the long sword per block, and I use the short one to attack. And so when I was waiting for my score, and we were up on the we were up on the uh, on the stage. I was waiting for my score, and, and I saw a spot of blood right on the floor. I said, <laughs> I said wow, some, some dummy cut himself. <laughs> I look at my hand, and it said blood was just going right across the knuckle. Huh? So, so the, uh, Soke Carl had to take me to the uh, emergency. Is it Tony? Or, I can't remember who, the, but one of them... Took me to Minneapolis. Uh, I had four stitches on on my, and that was the end of my my uh, my fo- my performance. Yeah, my competition. Oh. and uh, and that's when I met Professor. Right after that, he's there. Uh, you Filipino? Yes, sir. Because <laughs> I saw that he was, uh, you know, he was a Shihan. He was wearing this. Was wearing his uh, uniforms, and he at that time he was uh, stationed right there in the army in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, okay. Yeah. 
Uh, and that was the, the start of the long friendship. Yeah. And mentoring. But before that, see, I, I was already using the sword, but not as a, as a, It, it was a different sword that I was using. Uh, like I said, I was trying to do Filipino uh, forms, mm -hmm. but the Japanese sword, the katana, was uh, I used it just for demonstration, like you know, cutting uh, watermelons and stuff. Right. And, and but with uh, with uh, Professor Lardner's influence, after that meeting, we started doing. We started doing the Tamishigiris and then mm -hmm. the actual kendo, mm -hmm. had kendo classes. They'll come down from Minneapolis, train with us, and then go back. And then on his uh, retirement, when he got transferred again to Leesville, Louisiana, they come down to Des Moines with his ex-wife. Uh, and she was... Uh, she was also in a, in a kaiju kempu. We tested uh, this. We tested uh, sincerely. Randy Cook and mm -hmm. Shihan Larry Gilkes. Mm -hmm. They were our first, uh, uh, our second and third black belt or march system. And again, Larry Gilkes and Randy Cooks. I've known them since yeah. a long, long, long time. So where did the, uh, with the, the kendo instruction, how did, how did Professor Larenang, uh, how did he obtain the training for, for the Iaido and the kendo? Uh, was it just through his own, like he? No, he, he studied in there. Uh, uh, Andy Nolan would have more information on that. But uh, from what I understand, he was member of the Budo Association. Okay. okay. Uh, from Texas, I believe, and and uh, someplace else. I can't. I can't remember. I don't have the. I don't have his bio. Or I have it. I don't know where it's at. Yeah. But uh, Andy Nolan's got all that information. Okay. So. But they've been doing Iaido as part of their curriculum. You know, their especially their their ceremony, their tea ceremony. That's his. He was included on that. Yeah, and that's where we learned it. Okay. So in very the, formal. In the forty years that <coughs> you've been in Iowa teaching the martial arts, forty is that right? Forty. More than. More than. Okay. What's uh. What's a thing that you haven't done yet that you still want to do? Or a thing that you want to try again that you tried once, but you know, maybe it was not the right time. I don't know. I I think I've I've done all I can. Um I'm just uh, I'm just wishing that I 
I'll find somebody that's strong enough to take over. Mm-hmm. Somebody will succeed. Yeah. You know, my predecessor. And I haven't found that yet. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's it. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. It's very because, somber, very somber note. <laughs> yeah, very somber. Um, I got a, <clears throat> I got an invitation from Grandmaster Rebuy from Chicago. He's uh, president of the uh, uh, Modern Ernest Federation. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to represent Iowa, and supposedly. They're trying to include it into a Olympic. Oh, okay. It's a special Olympic, uh, the Ernest. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. I said, "Man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, if I'm qualified or or, or I get. I don't know if I, you know, I'm that good. Yeah, because." In, in, in the our the system of Ernest that we're doing is a combination of modern Ernest, Piketty Piketty system, mm-hmm. and then Daniela Santos, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I just kind of incorporated that into one, made it our own, mm-hmm. which is you know a, a lot of people still yeah, like it's, it. It's practical, practical, very yeah. practical. Yeah. And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, when we went to to Orlando, me and Nathan went to Orlando. I keep saying to myself, and then I called Gia, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> because uh, we met uh, Grandmaster Gat Puno Bayat, and he was he's one of the big, big, big harness instructor in Laguna, where we we passed Laguna on the way to, to Batangas. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, uh, Guru Panambuan. Panambuan is, they got books of books uh, in Arnis. And he was uh, C. Joe. John Bain, a friend of ours in, in Texas, that's his instructor. Mm. And he's been trying to get me to, to meet him. And those guys were, man, they were, they were good. And I th- They were so good. And that's, that's a situation where their focus is 100% on Arnis. Arnis, yeah. And I know in our system in particular, we have, we focus on chunks of things. Right. Like the yeah. traditional kata, yeah. some some of the Filipino martial arts. Japanese weapon, kabudo. Kabudo. Yeah. Um, the iaido. Right. And yeah. it's really, what I, what I like about that is it gives us... Um, as individual individual practitioners and instructors, places to jump off into that we're um, that we're interested in, and we can right. expand on that. And it's never a dull moment. Uh, sometimes I feel a little crazy, <laughs> but yep. you know, I because I don't know, you know, the next level deeper on this one thing. Um, but it's really just a challenge to all of us to to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all it all fits together. I mean, I think you've done an amazing job of putting the system together where like every empty hand technique 
matches up with a weapon uh, a weapon technique yeah, yeah. and um, I want to make it so you know practical that you don't have to use too many things to remember yeah know? when we did the demonstration or the seminar we uh, there was it was a long room and then they they had poor instructor doing doing different things and uh, before we knew it the people that doing the instruction doing the seminar from the other instructor gathered around where we were at mm -hmm. and I had more students we had over 40 students doing the doing and this yeah we ran out of uh, we ran out of weapons we, we ran out of, <laughs> of sticks yeah you know and then uh, <clears throat> and then I was looking at those two grandmasters watching me and they were just you know shaking their head nodding smiling and, yeah and uh so and then i said well maybe i do belong here <laughs> or i made an impression anyway yeah made an impression well i think it it probably um for them it was different yeah yeah it is it was it was different right, yeah. from what they were doing yeah uh in such a way that they uh yeah it, it Ernest is is there's so many branches, there's so many styles of Ernest and, and and I didn't realize this until later on. And uh and 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 the problem is back in the Philippines they're they're trying to compete against each other. You know, my mm -hmm. Ernest is better than your Ernest mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And 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 they're trying to make it an uh they made it into a national sport, but they still haven't uh had a chance to organize. There's a little organization, but they're not. Uh, they still want to. They still want to be an independent group, you know. Right, right. Like they, the they want to retain their individuality, right, but right. Yeah. yeah, still they yeah. they want. There's probably a, a group of people who are interested in um, cataloging and uh, sort of centralizing mm -hmm, it, and mm -hmm. which is terribly difficult with especially how many i mean if you if you look at the number of dialects of yeah. tagalog yep. there are oh, i yeah. can imagine that you know oh, yeah. with all the different islands and everything that there's uh, there's a challenge in centralizing mm -hmm. that this is an art and and that's another thing there there sometimes there's there is challenges going on between the two schools right you know and with result in in pole contact yeah uh Sparring a competition, a mm -hmm. competition. Uh, Grandmaster Rebai was at that time that you were down there mm -hmm. uh, that Sunday in your training. Oh, at the park. Okay. Remember, there were seven grandmasters that was yeah. there? Yep. He's one of them there. Okay. Okay. And he's the one trying to organize the modern Ernest system. So, uh, Grandmaster Rodel de Gork is part of that international group. Okay. So, he's the one that's trying to get me to to uh to participate yeah that's awesome who yeah i don't know so anyway he's talking about uh doing a presentation in january okay in the philippines awesome yeah. january in the philippines that's a good time to go right now <laughs> i told carl it's okay carl and he said okay Another plan. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't have much information right now. He just said he'll send it to me. 
but uh, i don't know if uh, i like the way what we have right now mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know if i want to expand expand you know? yeah right because uh, again individuality you know they, we're 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 I like the way we have and I want it to go to it's going to cause complications you know? yeah it's going to cause problems right you know right and it's going to be hard to manage for one thing mm-hmm. you know I like just idea but at the same time I don't even know if it's possible yeah you know we have to be realistic is we can't even get dues from our members now right. can you imagine if we expand right you know yeah. it's uh i think the the landscape has become uh bec- well with the internet things are information is uh, sent so quickly and so uh so broadly that you know it seems like we can that it's easier to manage uh, certain things, but it also, I think, um, leads to this false sense of, of connection mm-hmm. sometimes, which yeah, yeah. makes people think that, oh, anything, you know, it's, it, it'll be easy because of the internet and it's yeah. not always it's the not, case. There's, this is very and, much a in-person, it's a yeah. very personal thing. Now we formed this association in 85 and we've seen a lot of people, joined and, and loved the idea but at the same time boom we're like, talking uh, about the the UKKS yeah yeah um well i think it's it's interesting the the what you mentioned earlier about Des Moines um and having grown up there i i totally get what you're saying which is you know it's it's a place where you know ideas don't it's it's a hard place for ideas to take hold and uh, very, for very. for things to thrive there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a great place to grow up. It's a it's a very warm community. People are nice, um, but there's you know there's kind of this um, I don't know atrophy or there's there's a little bit of just inability to get stuff to stick and yeah. for people to get yeah. excited about something because exactly. if you look yeah. at the downtown area. You know, it went through this big rejuvenation and still is. Um, and I think only now going back, do I see it really exploding. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's um, new people moving in or uh, or what it is, but I, I can totally see in the, you know, 30 some years that I lived there that, you know, very little changes mm-hmm. um, in, mm-hmm. a, in a very big way. And it's it's tough. I, I get it. People, I think people do get used to um, doing things a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but the the idea that um, you know you you, st- you spend so many months inside in the winter that you know you kind of you have to every season kind of break out of this hibernation mode mm-hmm. and, and go back out and restart everything. Yeah. And then yeah. by the time you restart it, it's 103 and humid, and you know, like I'm not going out there. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I, I don't know if the weather contributes to some of that in the Midwest or not, but and then a few more months, and then it goes back to cold, being cold, and inside again. Yeah, 
and how yeah. very uh, Midwestern of us to somehow find a way to talk about the weather. Um, it's, I think, <laughs> yeah. almost guaranteed. But, uh, well, I, um, I know you have a million more stories that, that we could, <laughs> co- <laughs> that we could cover. Uh, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to take too much more of your time today. And I know that, um, I want to have you on, uh, in a few months again, and we'll, we'll, okay. we'll hit some new stories, but, um, thanks for taking the time with me today. You're welcome. And thank you for having us here. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for, for listening today. I, I'm glad that uh, that you found us and that you're taking the time out of your day to listen. Um, just a quick reminder on why we're doing this in the first place. I have a great interest in hearing from real people uh, doing real things. So um, it's great uh, and, and I feel very fortunate to be able to have real conversations about the martial arts with people because it's such a huge part of my life. And I think it's interesting that people from all walks of life can get involved uh, with the martial arts. And um, to me, that means that the perspectives are going to be very different depending on uh, people's upbringings and their uh, values alignments and things like that. So I think this is a great, um, a great opportunity to, for me to hear from people, and I hope that you find it valuable as well. If you're interested in subscribing to this Martial Life, you can do that uh, on iTunes. If you're listening in iTunes right now, you can just click on the little um, avatar down at the bottom and pull up the episode, and then there's a subscribe button right there, and you'll be alerted when I issue new episodes. If you're in Google Play, I'm sure that it's approximately the same workflow. Uh, Just find uh, This Martial Life on Google Play Podcasts and click subscribe. And I'm definitely interested if you have ideas or uh, suggestions on topics or people that we might interview, uh, or if you think you'd make a good interview yourself, I'd be happy to hear those suggestions. Go ahead and email me at bill at thismartiallife.com, and uh, we can start a conversation there. Thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you guys soon.